Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Simple, straightforward message today. It's probably the simplest message I could have preached. Probably didn't even need to study or pray for it. I could have preached it, but I prayed, and this is what I got. And you know, but I had to labor for it, man. It was like there was some resistance, you know? And I just thank God. I feel like he's broken down that resistance this morning. But uh, I, I do want to go ahead and bring out what he's put in my heart to, to, to share. And uh, we'll just see what happens. How would that be? You know, you don't have to have a prophetic gift to say that we're living in crazy times today. Right? I mean, you can pretty much see that. It's, it's all around us. Jackie shared this morning about the, the drug problem even here in our county. You know, and that's just, I mean, there was a time, man, where you could live somewhere in the United States. You couldn't even get drugs if you wanted to. And, and I mean, they're just available everywhere now. It's crazy. And, uh, you know, that's just small compared to some of the other things that are going on. And I don't even want to get into them. But you look around, you look at the news, there's crazy things left and right. But at the same time, I think there's a frustration in the hearts of God's people. Because, you know, what we believe as Christians and what we practice and how we try to live, it's like it's being challenged at every point, constantly. Everything is being contested. It's like what we believe, our system of belief, if you will, is being just systematically dismantled right in front of us. And we just kind of stand there and watch. It's like, what can I do? You know, that helplessness is not a great feeling. You know, if you truly desire to live for God, it's so easy today to feel sidelined and marginalized, even canceled, you know, in this cancel culture, if you really want to live for God. But, you know, this is not something that surprises God. If you look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Then what happens? Well, the evil people and imposters, they're going to go from bad to worse, and they're going to continue to deceive, and they're going to continue to be deceived. Meanwhile, those of us who want to live moral, godly lives before Jesus Christ, we're going to feel the pressure. It's it's, it's part of it. It's part of, you know, you're not going to make advances into the kingdom of darkness without the darkness wanting to push back. Right? It's just resistance. But can the darkness overcome the light? Light always overcomes darkness, right? You cannot gather enough darkness into a room that you can extinguish the light because no matter how dark a place can be, the smallest light can be seen from everywhere, right? So we need to keep shining. <laughs> we need to keep pushing. But all who desire to live godly, a godly life will be persecuted. And it's good to know you're not alone because Elijah the prophet felt like this as well. Do you remember what Elijah said? He's... he's, he's um complaining to the Lord. you got to love a prophet's prayer. And uh, you could read it in Romans 11.3 because Paul quotes it. And he says, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. And I am left alone. And now they're wanting to kill me. It's not a prayer that I want to pray. <laughs> but sometimes you feel like that. Lord, they've, they've destroyed anything godly. They've destroyed. They're getting rid of, uh, you know, Christianity and moral, morals in the public square. And now they're going after me. But what did God say to him? He said, I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So at the present time, there is a remnant. 
there is a remnant. Just you got to believe that there's always a plan and a program. God always has people that he's willing to work through and working through. It's either a Christian or a church or a community of believers that he is working through to be that remnant for his purposes. When I, uh, years ago, I worked for a pastor in Atlanta, and uh, there was this, it was a church of God, it was down on 14th Street in Midtown Atlanta, and uh, it was so interesting because I was there a few, several years after they had begun this ministry, but when he went down there, uh, when the church of God sent him down there to 14th Street to Midtown Mission, he was sent down there to literally close the church and liquidate the assets, however the legality of the church of God had to do. They were closing it down. Nobody was attending. The church was done. He, so he mo- took the position, and he started preaching there at Midtown Mission, this big church with nobody in there. And a prostitute walks in off the street, comes up to the altar, and gives her heart to God. <laughs> and then they got somebody delivered from drugs. God started doing miracles, and and he said, you know, maybe God wants us not to close this church. Maybe God wants us to keep this. Maybe God has a purpose for this church. And so, you know what he did? He moved his whole family into the church building, and they lived there in that, that on 14th Street, if you know it, from there and on out uh, west where he was. It's one of the worst areas in Atlanta, especially at that time. And he just moved his whole family in there and said, we're here. We're going to minister. He'd say to the last and to the lost and to the least. Yeah, it's a deep story. But, you know, that was the birth of a ministry that's been going on now for 25 years called City of Refuge. They've changed their name. Somebody gave them eight acres of warehouse space in the worst part of town, which is just two miles west of where they were. And they're doing homeless feeding. They're doing uh, um, uh, job training. They're doing rehab. They're doing transitional housing. They're doing children's ministry, youth ministry, preaching the gospel. And they're a light to their community. But, you know, here's the thing. The denomination sent him there to close the church down, right, to manage the ending of this era, the ending of the ministry, getting rid of the assets. But God actually led him, Bruce Steele is his name, God led Bruce to Atlanta because he had something he wanted to do in Atlanta, right? He wasn't done with Atlanta. He wasn't done with Midtown Mission. He had something to do. And I want to tell you, we are not here just to manage the decline of the church in America. We're not. God has something that he wants to do through his church in this country. And we can have the attitude that we're just here writing it down and just seeing how far it goes. Or we can say, God, what do you have for the church here? Now, he had to shift gears. I mean, it was an affluent church down there on 14th Street right across the interstate. It was an affluent church. But the area had declined. And that church that housed, you know, uh, very wealthy people, well-dressed people, become a, a rescue place for the people who were addicted and hopeless. There are people today all over who are hopeless, addicted. I'm telling you, they are God's army. They're, they're the raw material that God will build something beautiful out of. Yeah, right. We've got to think beyond ourselves. We're not here to manage the decline of the church. God has something for you and for me to accomplish in these crazy times that we live in. You know, but we've got to come to a place of honesty, really. I've talked a lot about... Um, 
um, you know, having our inward life in alignment with what our outward life. In other words, it's real easy to be in church and say the right things, right? But what's really in my heart? Because that's really what's driving my life, right? You know, my heart is the driver, is in the driver's seat. My confession has something to do with it when my confession comes out of my heart. You know, I bring out things that are in my heart. But if something else exists in my heart, me saying something is not necessarily going to direct my life or, or bring the power of God into the situation. Do you understand what I'm meaning? We need to have our, you know, our confession. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Right? If I say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in my heart, then I'm saved. It's not just saying with your mouth. Your heart's in your driver's seat. So we've got to come to a place of honesty about what we really want, what's really in our hearts, so that we can live out what we believe. To say one thing with our lips and live another way in our hearts creates a tension, you know? And, and, it, and it just can't exist forever. Something will give at some point. You'll either let go of your confession or whatever, but you know, or you'll change your heart, one of the two, but it just can't exist that way indefinitely. The only place that can exist is in religious places <laughs> where we get really good at saying one thing and having the right words just to cover our unbelief in our heart. Uh, it's a hard word, but it's true. And so, you know, here's the thing. What if what I'm believing is wrong? What if my heart needs to be adjusted? I say I want to win the lost. I want to shine for God. I want to be a Christian in this dark world. What if I need to tweak my heart? Because my heart's the thing that's really driving my life. You know, if I'm not getting the results that Jesus got, Maybe I need to change my, let him change my heart. Maybe I need to change some things. If I'm not getting the results that Peter and the early church got, maybe I need to adjust some things in my heart and in my thinking. Because if we're not getting those results, we're either holding on to wrong ideas, you know, traditions and things that we like and human inventions, or maybe we're just not simply doing what we say we believe. And so I really believe that there's, I believe that there's true desire in God's people, to be people who live out what we say we believe. I mean, we're not wanting that inconsistency. There's, you know, you read the Bible and you read the stories of these heroes, man, who are doing things. And there's a, there's a, it's the Holy Spirit in you that's working in you to cause you to will and to do according to what his good pleasure is how it says it in Ephesians. What God wants, he, the Holy Spirit's working in you to take you to that place. So there's a real desire uh, and here's the thing, there, the Spirit of God is stirring, even in these dark times. Why? Because he's got the answer to the problem. Don't you know that he is looking for the, uh, the opportunity to answer the challenge that the world has laid down today? The Spirit in you, he wants to. He's got the answer and he can do it. So do we really want to reach this world for God? I know the answer. The answer is yes. That's always the lip answer. Yes. But the hard answer is a lot more complicated. Because when I ask the question, immediately your mouth says yes. But also you immediately start thinking, so what exactly does that involve? <laughs> and then you start thinking, oh, it's going to be this program or that program. Or I don't feel called to that program. Or is it going to be, you know, and you start reasoning. We need to bring our hearts in alignment with what we're saying with our mouth. Because it's easy to say yes with your mouth, but it's quite another thing to say yes with your heart. 
So do we really want to reach the world for God? And if the answer is yes, I want to tell you today that there's something that we can do right now, we can begin to do right now, that will show God we're serious, show the angels we're serious, show the devil we're serious, the principalities and the powers. And I'm telling you this, we need to come to the place where we live a spirit-filled life. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we need to live a spirit-filled life. We need to become spirit-filled. And when, you know, don't let the terminology, you know, put you off. I know there's a lot of, lot of you, guys, you guys are thinkers, okay? You guys are thinkers. You've got it all worked out, I know. I'm not trying to come against anybody's theology. I'm just trying to move us to a place where we live what we say we believe. I really don't care how you think about it. Is it filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit fell on them, received the Holy Spirit? I don't. doesn't matter to me. Are you living the Spirit-filled life? That's what I want to take us to today. I'm not, I don't, I, 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 know, I know what the theology is. I know the different ways we say it. But the question is, are we living it? That's where, that's where the rubber meets the road at the end of the day. Because the Bible uses all of those words to describe it. All of them received the Holy Spirit. They laid their hands and the Spirit fell on them. Uh, he poured out his Spirit. And so when I say any of these words, you immediately have this image in your mind of what this looks like. You know what I mean? Because why? You've experienced different things. You've been different places. And I want to just ask you today, just please, for the next few minutes, let go of those preconceived ideas of what you think that means, okay? Because when I say the Holy Spirit, a lot of times you're immediately going to think about the manifestations of the Spirit, that, that what the church calls, people call manifestations of the Spirit, you know, like um, shaking or running or jerking or jumping, shouting or loud prayer or laying on the floor, Okay. We call those manifestations. But do you know what the Bible calls manifestations of the Spirit? The Bible calls this manifestations of the Spirit. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healings and miracles, faith and discernment, speaking in other languages and the ability to interpret those languages. That's the list in the Bible that's, that the Bible says is manifestations. That other stuff that I listed, it may happen, but I don't pursue it. I don't have a verse that says, you shall lay hands on them and they shall fall on the ground and roll around. If you do, great, as long as you wake up and you're healed, as long as you wake up and you're changed. I mean, these things are going to happen, and that's fine. I'm not against anything, but I'm telling you what I'm pursuing is what the Scripture says. Knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, healings and miracles, discernment, Mm -hmm. tongues and interpretation. See, the, the Bible list is very beneficial to the church. All of these things are very beneficial to the church. And so keep in mind, God is not limited to a certain denominational flair. Do you know what I'm saying? A certain way we've done it. A certain way, you know, the charismatics have got their ways. The Pentecostals have got their ways. He's not limited to any of that. But what we'll all have in common, I mean, how can I go to India and sense the Spirit of God in a church with a bunch of people I've never met who've been serving God from a whole different tradition? I mean, I'm telling you what, they're more Spirit-filled, some of them, as from the Presbyterian tradition in India than some of the Pentecostals are in America. Uh, they just are. I'm just telling you. A whole different tradition, whole different, not completely different theology, but there are some differences in, even in the theology. And I can sit there and get hung up on that, or I can say, I can tell by the witness of the Spirit, these people know God. 
You know, and that's what I want us to be. We can we can go back and work on the, the definitions, and I think we should. I, I think it's worth looking into the scriptures to always make sure we're biblically accurate about what we believe. But the Bible was written to people who were experiencing the life of the Spirit. If we are not experiencing the life of the Spirit, none of it really makes sense anyway. And so we have these excuses of why we limit the Holy Spirit when we come together. One of the excuses is, you know, uh, we, we quote the verse from 1 Corinthians fourteen forty, but all things should be done decently and in order. And I agree with that completely, 100%. Everything should be done decently and in order. But we have exalted decently and in order so much that we have forgotten about let all things be done. You know what I'm saying? There are things that God wants to do among us that need to be done that we've, we've resisted because we're trying to be in order. Come on, I'd be a little bit, I, I'm willing to be a little bit out of control if it means that I can yield to God and let him have his way, right? I mean, if it's real, nobody, look, nobody wants to get stuck in silliness, right? But if it's real, man, how, how many of you would, you know, be upset if God, you know, touched your body and healed you or saved, you know, restored your marriage or, you know, whatever you're needing, blessed your job, you know, gave you the ability to witness and win your friends or your neighbors, those people in your life that you're praying for, you know, who, who's going to be offended at that, right? Those are the things that God wants to do more than we want to do them. And he's got a way to do it. And it's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. So decently in order. Let all things be done decently and in order. We've used that phrase sometimes, I think, to actually quench the working of the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to do that. Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit and do not quench the Holy Spirit. Why would he warn us about that if it wasn't possible for us to do things that could grieve him or quench him? Now, I've got a little fire pit on my, my back patio. And, you know, we love just to sit out there and light fires and just watch them burn, man. Uh, when I first started watching them burn, it was an act of faith. I was so busy. It's like, I'm going to sit here and just watch this thing burn. <laughs> and just shut down all the, you know, take the as long as it takes to let this thing burn down, I'm going to just sit here and enjoy it. But, you know, when you're building the fire, there are things that you can do that would cause the fire to, to be put out. That's what quench means, to put out a fire. There are things that you can do that will cause it to go out. And there are things that you can also do to make it, fan it into flame, right? Doesn't the Bible say, in King James, it says, stir up the gift within you. In the NIV, it's probably a little more closer to the Greek, fan into flame the gift that's within you. See, we have a responsibility, don't we? If you couldn't put out or if you couldn't quench the spirit, then why have these warnings at all? But we want to instead cooperate with him and fan him into flame. Oh, here, here it is. I have the verse. Look at that. Second uh, Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And it goes on, for God has not given us a spirit of what? A spirit of fear, okay? Come on, men's hearts will fail them for fear of what's coming on the earth. We are living in a time right now where there is unprecedented fear. But he's not given us a spirit of fear. That spirit is not from God. 
He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power of love and self-control. Come on, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. He's not looking for us just to be crazy and just out of control and weird. When the Spirit's working, there's things getting done, and that's where we need to be as a church. You know, the other excuse I see is this. You know, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. I don't want people to be uncomfortable. I don't want people to be We don't try to make people uncomfortable, right? But, you know, if you're... If you're involved in a car accident and you, you know, have to ride the ambulance and you go to the emergency room and those doctors are working on you, you know their first priority is not your comfort. And you think about that? It's not your comfort. I mean, they're going to stick tubes in you and stick needles in your chest and electrodes all over you and jerk you around, pound on your chest, whatever. Why? Because they're trying to save your life. And God, who is the God of all comfort, his first order of business is not your comfort, (laughs) but to save your life. I'm just telling you, the church right now in America, in many ways, is on life support. You know what what I mean? They're They're on the ventilator. The machines are keeping it alive. Now, let me ask you, what do we need right now for America? Do we need a hospice nurse to make us comfortable? Or do we need a trauma surgeon who will maybe put those paddles on our chest and wake us up? Come on, that's where we are. Desperate times, man. Desperate times. If we were a godly nation and you could walk out the door, you could send your kids to school and they would learn about virtues and good things about God, then yeah, we can sit here and we could talk about being comfortable. But right now, we need the church to be revived. And we need to do it the way God says, and that is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. God has a way to save people. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. If we're serious about reaching the world for Jesus, we've got to go after spirit-filled living. We've got to give the Holy Spirit freedom to work through us again, through our churches when we gather. Man, through where two or three of you gather, through your families, when husbands and wives live together in their home with their kids, man, the Holy Spirit wants to work through that. He's not limited to a church building. Come on, what is the church? We know the answer. It's not a building. It's the people, right? So when you and your husband or your wife are together, I mean, are you, you're the church. You're just as much the church there in your home as you are here. Yeah. Y'all, couple of y'all go out to eat and go down to the, wherever you like to go. My kids in the room, they're not here. I'd say Cheddar's. We went to Cheddar's one time and they're still dreaming about it. It was just the cheese, it was the cheese bites and the video game. Okay, that's, that's all. I mean, I could go get cheese bites anywhere. They, they didn't eat much else. I mean, Benjamin, it's macaroni and cheese. That's just it. I could get him Chick-fil-A mac and cheese and be just as good. But, but you know, where you're going to go out to eat. You're going to go sit around somewhere. Are you the church? You're the church there just as much as you are here, right? You're gathered together there just as much as you are here. Come on, be spirit-filled. Let him work through you. Speak that word to the, to the waitress. Okay? And I don't mean in a religious way. I, I, mean, I mean from your heart, man, from the Holy Spirit prodding you. 
you know, not every word has to be, thus saith the Lord, <laughs> you know? <laughs> thus saith the Lord. You, you have, you know, a situation, you know, whatever. And then you say something general so that you can't be wrong, right? <laughs> Are, are, are you, are, are you, do you have a need of prayer for anything? Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty general. Are you praying about, you can't miss that one. I'll start there if you need to, but be willing to let the Holy Spirit use you. And it doesn't have to be weird. Come on, you be weird. You'll be kicked out of the restaurant. You don't have to be weird. He's given us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. That spirit that is in you is the spirit of power, love, and self-control. You can control this. If you couldn't control it, you couldn't quench it. And when we come together in here on Wednesday nights and we're praying, I love to create an atmosphere, man, where you just can't do anything wrong. You make a mistake, who cares? We're family. But, you know, out there you want to be a little more careful. But you can control it. He's given us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. I have this question to ask. I just want to do a little poll here. Uh, how many of you have heard of the Great Commission? Know what the Great Commission is? All right, about, about 12%. All right, I'm feeling real good. I was actually surprised to discover, to discover this. When I was looking this up, I came across this poll. Um, this is from 2018, so it's a few years ago. But according to Barna, 51% of churchgoers do not know what the Great Commission is. 51% in 2018. When asked if they had heard of the Great Commission, 51% said they do not know this term. 25% said that they'd heard of it but cannot recall the exact meaning. And 6% said that they weren't sure. So I'm, I'm thinking you should probably add that to that 51 and make that 57. But, but anyway, but there was 17% in 2018 of all the churches, you know that Barnapoles, they go across denominational lines. But of all the churches, there were 17% of people who knew um, what the Great Commission was. They knew, they'd heard about it, and they knew what it was. It just kind of shows you, I mean, that's not to make any person feel, like, bad for not knowing. That's just to make churches feel bad for not preaching the Great Commission, right? Um, so I'm going to read to you the Great Commission. Uh, I'm going to read it to you out of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. This is, our, this is what we're called to do as a church, okay? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the last chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus is, you know, getting ready to ascend and return to the Father. And this is the last thing he tells the disciples to do after he's raised from the dead. Verse 18, that Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the Great Commission is what? To go and to uh, make disciples of all nations, right? Okay, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Mark records it a little different. Um, you know, I, I, I imagine in my mind that Jesus probably talked to them for more than just a verse or two at this point. And so the, each writer brings out a little different aspect of it. But Mark says, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go proclaim the gospel to the whole world. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. My name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. 
They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So a supernatural ministry is supposed to be following them as they go. That's what we see. In Luke, he says it like this. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 46, Jesus said to them, thus it is written. He's quoting the Old Testament here. He's telling them that what has happened with me being crucified and raised from the dead and all this is exactly what God had planned from the beginning. Don't worry about it. It is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day raised from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. See, he has got the nations in mind, does he not? To all nations. And I love this, repentance and forgiveness. The message is not, the gospel is not going into all the world telling people they're going to go to hell. The message is going into all the world and telling people that they can have a a connection with God because there's forgiveness of their sins. If you will turn, which is what repentance means, you can actually be connected to God himself. And to prove it, he backs you up with signs and miracles. That's why the, the the church and the Christian message spread like it did. That's why it's spreading all over the world now. And he says to them, beginning in Jerusalem, 48, in Luke 24, 48, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city. See, why? Because I've got a job for you to do. You've got to go out and bear witness of me. You've got to tell the world the gospel, but don't do it just yet. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power. Because if you go out before you're clothed with power, the mission will fail. This is critical to accomplishing the mission. Okay, We say we want to win the lost. Are we willing to live a spirit-filled life? Because that's God's, that's God's method. That's his plan. That's how he does it. And then finally, I told you I'd read it to you in Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Literally, he's standing on the mountain about to go and be hidden from the cloud where he returns to the, to, uh, to, to the Father. And he says, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the great commission. And understand this, this was a new command for them. This was new because as long as they were ministering with Jesus, they were told not to go to the nations, but to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what he told them to do. It was limited. But now that Jesus is going to the Father, he expects what? Increase. It's not just about the Jewish nation anymore. It's taking this to the world, which was the plan from the beginning. He expects his, he really expects his kingdom to grow. He expects his influence on the earth to grow. He expects increase after he went to the Father. And the other thing that we can see is that Jesus did not believe that this mission would even be possible to do without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without the infilling of the Holy Spirit, without people living spirit-filled lives. So I want to ask again, do we really want to win the lost for Jesus? Or do we just want to create a church that we're comfortable with and try to get people to come? Because that's two different things. It's two completely different things. You know, when you read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can tell very clearly that, I mean, the climax of that whole story is that crucifixion and resurrection. 
It's obvious the way it ends, man. It's like the whole thing builds up, and then Jesus is crucified, then he appears to them, and then the story's over. That's the whole conflict and resolution right there. But when you read the Bible as a whole, especially the New Testament, you get another serious point of climax, if you will, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the sending of the Holy Spirit. It makes a loop that starts in the beginning of the Gospels and goes all the way through the book of Acts and includes the letters. This is not something that's the the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the pouring of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that's been given later, just kind of an afterthought or whatever. If you read all four Gospels, you'll see that it's exactly what was predicted from the beginning. Okay, You know, it's very common because we have four Gospels. Three of them, they're called synoptic Gospels, which means they have a lot of the same stuff in them. It's very common to find a story in two Gospels or even three Gospels. But there are only a handful of things that are actually in all four because John wrote at a much later date, and he kind of wrote, as people say, to fill in the gaps of, of maybe what the other he thought the other people didn't include that you might need to know. But if you read the the Gospel of John, a lot of it takes place in Jerusalem. Almost the whole book is in Jerusalem. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a lot of it happened in Galilee and other places and then ends in Jerusalem. So it's just, you know, Jesus ministered for three and a half years. You know, you could write a lot about that. So they just took different aspects of it. But when you see something that is in all four books, you know that this is a major idea in the mind of God to cause all four gospel writers to write this. And listen to what he says. This is John the Baptist introducing Jesus's ministry. You can read this in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Right. So the very beginning of the ministry, you know, before Jesus is really coming out and doing public ministry, John the Baptist, his forerunner, says, this is how this is what his ministry will be. He will be the one who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. Mark says something very similar. Mark chapter one, verse seven. John the Baptist preached, saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, John cha- or Mark chapter 1, first chapter, before Jesus is you know, really even introduced as far as miracles, this is what John says about him. Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 15, as the people were in expectation, they were all questioning in their hearts concerning John, this is John the Baptist, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then finally, uh, the book of John, John, bore, uh, John chapter 1, first chapter, verse 32, John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So you can see clearly that this is not something that just Jesus would like to re- like for us to receive if you want to. This is actually the ministry of Jesus himself. John is saying that the ministry of Jesus, he will be known as the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus' ministry. That's how important it is. Yet when you read the Gospels, you go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and you don't see him baptizing anybody with the Holy Spirit. It didn't happen in the Gospels. Isn't that interesting? 
It didn't happen until after the cross and after the resurrection. When he went to the Father to the right hand and he poured out the Spirit from that place of power. And the church was born. And that's what you and I are part of. You can read the Gospels and you can identify with Matthew and, and, and uh, you know, Peter and the sons of thunder and all these, all these people, you know. You can identify with them, but you understand none of them were baptized in the Holy Spirit at that point. They were fumbling, <laughs> making mistakes, Peter denying him on the night he was killed. And you see Peter a few chapters later, a few weeks later, really after he received the Holy Spirit, standing bold right before the same uh, uh, council that just condemned Jesus and killed him. Peter's standing there, bold, because the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so you can read that in, in, in uh, chapter uh, Acts chapter 2. It says, this Jesus God raised up and that we are all witnesses. Okay, the whole, let me give you a little background. The Holy Spirit had been poured out. They were all doing the thing, speaking in tongues and proclaiming the name of God in languages that they did not know that other people understood. Pretty neat miracle. And Peter stands up and he says, we've witnessed that Jesus was raised from the dead. He's exalted to the right hand of the God, and he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that he has poured out. He has poured out this, what you are seeing and hearing right now. This was Jesus's ministry. This is what John the Baptist predicted he would do. Now it is finally happening in the book of Acts. And this is the, this is the time period, if you will, that you and I get to live in. Jesus ascended to the Father. How can he look at them and say, it's gonna be better for you if I go? Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. He's saying what we've experienced and what they experienced in the book of Acts was even better than what it was when they were walking with Jesus. That doesn't make any sense, but that's what Jesus said. It is better for you if I go. Because if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. If I go, I will enter into my ministry as baptizer with the Holy Spirit. I just want to tell you, Jesus can be trusted because we all love Jesus, right? We love Jesus. Jesus is my friend, my brother, all those, you know, but that Holy Spirit, whoa, <laughs> unpredictable. Understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit is Jesus's ministry. It's not something different. It's not something other. He says, I will never, behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. How is he going to do that when he goes to be with the Father? He's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. They're one. You know, God, three in one. I don't understand all that, but that's what the Bible teaches. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're in perfect agreement. Look at Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what did he do? He went around the three in one, went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. All who were oppressed of the devil. Why? For God was with him. That's what he wants to do today. We cannot leave out the third part of the Trinity and expect to get the results that Jesus got. We have got to live a spirit-filled life. Jesus can be trusted. And I want to just take a minute and say this. If you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, but he's not working through you in fresh new ways, take the time to check the connection. Again, I'm not come, I am not coming against anybody's theology here. You know, I know I was baptized in 1992 and I spoke in tongues, therefore I have the Holy Spirit. Great. 
But is he working through you in fresh new ways? Are you having words for people? And I don't mean like standing up in the church and thus saith the Lord. That's good. I mean, you're, that is welcome here, okay? But I'm just talking when you're talking to somebody. I mean, I've, I remember spending time on the phone with people, and all of a sudden, I'm, you know, maybe ministering or sharing something, and man, the words came out with such force. I'm like, where did that come from? But I knew it was God. I mean, one time, I didn't even know this, this person very well. I just, I, I met this, this girl, and, you know, I th- this was before Rain Kim. Where's Rain Kim? Is she gone? And this is before Rain. I thought I might like to date her. Oh, she's up in the front. What? Wow. My wife made it to the front row. God is moving. Um, no, but, but I thought maybe I would like to meet her and date her. I didn't know. We never, we, we just went out one time. But, uh, uh, this is really wild, though, because I'm sitting, I'm working in my shop, in my cabinet shop. All of a sudden, the spirit of prayer came on me for her. And I felt the power of God in me for her. And I don't even know why. I started just praying and interceding for her. Then I get a text. And she had got some tests done, and there was a negative report. And I texted her back, and I prayed for her. And I, we didn't really stay in touch. I'm assuming it was okay. But, uh, but it was wild that God wants to do things through you every day. And if we're not experiencing those kinds of things regularly, check the connection. If you're out there watering your flowers, right? And all of a sudden the water stops. You don't just say, well, you know, I, I had water when I turned it on. I must still be okay. No, you start looking back. Is the hose kinked? Did my son come out and kink the hose as a joke? Did somebody drive a car on there and park on it? You know, did it burst? You know, is the spigot working? I'm going to just go and find out what happened and get it fixed. So if you're not experiencing what this spirit-filled life that I'm talking about, man, just take the time to get on your face before God. Say, God, I need this in my life. You know, um, it says uh, Peter was the one here who was baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the first of the first of the 120. You know, the, the 120 were the first who received the Spirit. But in Acts chapter 4, it says, again, and Peter stood up and being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, is it a one-time thing? Is it a continual thing? Man, it's a river. But stay in the river because you can quench it and you can grieve it. If we're serious about winning people for the Lord, we have got to establish this in our life. This is how God wants to do it. This is his plan for salvation and soul winning. You're going to be my witnesses all over this whole big green planet, but you're going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, he didn't say what would happen, did he? (laughs) I guess I better not put words in his mouth. He doesn't have a plan B, though, does he? Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We need to maintain that connection. Don't quench Him. I want to read you this verse. I want to, if God will let me, I'm just going to bring it in for a landing here. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with this. Okay, Ephesians was a spirit-filled church, right? He wrote this to a spirit-filled church. I looked. I looked up this word because um, I like to sound really smart. 
But that phrase, be filled with the Spirit, is a present passive imperative. Anybody know what that means? Because if you do, I'd love for you to explain it to me. (laughs) It's a present passive imperative, meaning you must continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is not you be filled with the Holy Spirit at one time and that's it. The, he's, he's telling these spirit-filled baptized believers in the book in the town of Ephesus, you must continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The international um, ISV, I'm not sure, I can't remember what S stands for. You know, you go on Bible Gateway and look up the different translations, right? It says, stop getting drunk with wine, which leads to wild living, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. We have an obligation to maintain that connection so that we can keep on being filled with the Spirit. If it wasn't available to us, we wouldn't be told to do it. We can do things in our lives that will yield to the Holy Spirit so that he can continue, continually fill us so that we can be a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that says out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And when that river is flowing, man, healings happen. People come into the kingdom. The lost, the blind are open. People's eyes are open. They see the difference between this craziness. What did it say? Uh, Kenneth, go back and put that verse about he's not giving us a spirit of power. Um, of uh, Yeah, how does it say? All who, yeah, right here. Imposters will go on from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Their only hope is for you to live a spirit-filled life. Their only hope is for the Spirit of God to do and a work in them to open their eyes. Otherwise, this is their destiny. They will continue to deceive and be deceived. If we're serious about winning the lost for the Lord, we will live a Spirit-filled life. Come on, amen? Can I get it? amen? Oh, man. Do I have anybody who's willing to play a song? Can you guys bear with me just for a few minutes? Tom, do you mind bringing the band up? Simba, you mind coming up? Just, just any song for just a minute, just because... I had planned on praying in the end. I'm aware of the time, but uh, if you need to go, I understand that. But I just feel like this is important. I don't think you preach a message like this without giving people an opportunity to respond. Thanks, guys. Okay, as they're as they're preparing the song here, I just want to I want to offer prayer for these these three areas. Well, even four areas, really, special needs. Anybody just have a need, you know we're willing to pray, come, right? But if you want to, if you feel like you've not ever made that first connection with God and you're not saved, you want to be bring your life in alignment with God, I want to ask you to come and we'll pray with you. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time, come, we'll lay hands on you according to the Bible and we'll ask the Lord to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. If you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you want to just come up here and make a stand and say, I want to be a fresh infilling because I want to live a spirit-filled life. I want to do what I was preaching about today. I would just like to welcome you to come as the band plays.